I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, you were doing it previously. And oh, okay. I, I sit down and thought, if I yeah, look at my yeah, paper right. long enough, he'll start. No, it's just a jacket. So I'm talking to myself about my trip. Well, basically, yeah. So uh, what did you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, um, okay. All right, let's go. The latest on the world game. This is the 442 Insider, brought to you by Sony and Sony Ericsson, the only official technology providers of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Hello and welcome to this week's 442 Insider Podcast and welcome to a new era of 442, the post-Hansford era. New reign of Um, terror. New reign of terror. Um, It's just the two of us today, myself and new editor Trevor Trahan. Hello. Um, I'm obviously just back off the plane from South Africa and nursing uh, a very bad cough, cold, um, which is definitely transferred by the Vuvuzelas or Fluvuzelas. As we call them now. Um, so let's kick off. Uh, round 16 review. Um, I missed a big chunk of this because I was in the air for 24 hours. So, um, Trev, yep. thoughts on the games? We'll look at them as a whole, really. Um, the games that I did see was obviously the games at the weekend, which was Uruguay and Uruguay and Ghana winning. Um, what do you think to those two? Um, yeah, Uruguay have looked, looked good for out, haven't they? They're, they're solid at the back and they've got two excellent strikers in, in Fulham and Suarez up front. And I was kind of hoping South Korea might make it a little bit further. Um, that kind of draw, it's interesting, this Uruguay and Korea and then it's USA-Ghana. You know, one of those four teams is going to make a semi-final. Um, I thought Ghana might get found out against the USA because um, I don't think they were overly impressive in, in the group stages. Um, I think Australia certainly would have beaten them with a full contingent on the pitch so I thought the USA might get the better of them there but it's good to see an African team continue I mean you you were out there I mean was there support for the other African Definitely. teams absolutely. they said that was going to happen yeah, didn't absolutely. they absolutely you know like it was um, as soon as uh, Bafana Bafana went out <laughs> um, everyone transferred to right Ghana's our hope everyone's behind it you know the, the TV stations that are showing it are very much billing it as Africa's hope, you know. That to, would never happen in another continent, would it? You think no, that would happen in Europe or no. South? But I think it is Africa. such, you know, it is such a big deal for the World Cup being in Africa that they'll, um, you know, and the, the, the tens not, you know, all sort of inter-African rivalries have been put aside, and it's like, right, we need an African team to go as far as we can. Um, again, yeah, uh, you know, looking at that, there was a bit of a sort of, you know, well. It's a relatively what you'd call an easy progression potentially to a semi-final that mm. could have been the Socceroos had they um, managed to to beat Ghana. Um, whether the Socceroos would have gone on and beaten the USA, I'm not sure because again, you know that that game was won by one piece of individual excellence up front by um, by Gian, and I'm not convinced that the Socceroos had that really. Yep. Um, Uruguay, yeah. I mean, the interesting one for the Uruguay was the winner. Um, which was one of the first examples we'd seen of someone actually curling the Jabalani. I think, yeah, I think a Danish player at Dan Prees, but you're right, it's the first time that he really got whip on it, didn't he, at the end? And we've got, got a theory about that, because it was, it was raining really heavily. Mm. And we were watching it at the time, and we came up with a theory that the reason why he could get curl on it was that the air was made thicker by the water. So it was creating that friction that normally Professor Jackson, the ball and the air creates. So because if you've seen the, like when you when you were there, you were watching the, the players kick the ball. Mm. It was like watching someone hit a golf ball. When yeah. they hit a golf ball, and it just keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going up. And there's very few people you could see players shaping 
to go for top corners or to whip a ball in and just getting nothing on it. Mm. You know, and I think that's the combination of the thinner air altitude and the ball, which has obviously been much talked about. But the games where people have curled the ball have tended to be the games where it's been raining. And so just starting on physics, heavier air, more purchase. You know, so. Keep an eye on that. So you go. Um, obviously, I was at Germany 4, England 1. Um, Ouch. Not sure. I'm <laughs> particularly glad I extended my trip by a day for it. But no, no, always a great occasion. Um, I think way too much will be made of the Lampard goal um, or non-goal. Um, we'll never know what difference that would have made to both sides going in 2-2 but second half they cut us to pieces yeah. and the bottom line is the better team went through yeah absolutely that, that's why you, yeah, can't, you absolutely. can't really complain about it it was just possibly one of the most dismal parts of my trip was watching both teams I was there supporting hammered by the Germans well this is it for you and I for English born people who are now Australian Socceroos fans we lost 8-1 to Germany during <laughs> that World Cup but the thing was was that was, was funnily enough and, and I know Craig Foster will probably hate this was the fact that Germany's tactics against England were very similar to the tactics that, that annihilate the Australians, which was, you know, move the de- central defenders around, mm. you know, get width, break quickly, you know, precisely, and, you know, they couldn't cope with it, just like Australia couldn't cope. You know, they, they played it in a very different way. Australia obviously tried to compete by playing a flat-back line and offside, mm. which, which obviously didn't work. England didn't try and play offside. They just weren't particularly mobile and weren't quick enough. You know, and for the fourth goal especially, Gareth Barry just got completely outmaneuvered by Ozil. Um, and again, you know, so the, I mean, the big matchup obviously will be Germany-Argentina this weekend. Um, Argentina looked great going forward. Went to see him in the 4-1, uh, 3-1 against um, South, uh, 4-1, South Korea South when Iguan got the hat-trick. We were at that game. And move, the, the forward movement of that three, Tevez, Messi, Iguan, was, was, was excellent. But you do think that they are susceptible at the back um, because he's playing three or four centre-backs across the back. Jonas Gutierrez, uh, who seems to have fallen out of favour but was his first choice right-back, is appalling. Mm. Um, and you look at Podolski and you think, Jesus, you know, that, that will be somewhere where they'll get wins. Di Michaelis um, is not a great centre-half. He's not especially quick. He's not especially big. Um, didn't end the season particularly well for Bayern Munich. And I think... Germany will ask Argentina questions at the back that no one else has asked them yet, so it'll be not, interesting to see how they do. They're not taking on a, a world-class strike force, and you have no. to do that to win the World Cup. So yeah, um, Aliens, Brazil three, Chile. Yep, this is one of the ones that I didn't see. Netherlands two, Slovakia one. Yeah, I, th- I think the Netherlands made relatively hard work of Slovakia, but that's probably a slight injustice to Slovakia, who, who who looked like a decent side in this tournament. The return of Robin was a massive, massive influence. I mean, he, he's had such a great season, and sometimes players take a little bit to get back into the swing of it, but he was brilliant, you know, from the off. And yeah, the, they'll meet um, Brazil, who looked scarily good. Like formidable, you know, yeah. um, and that Chile side's a, a really decent side. And but you know, Chile went for it, and I know they lost three 0 and they're out of the World Cup. But it was quite interesting just that for them to go. Well, you know, it's Brazil. Let's go out in a you know blaze of glory here. And <coughs> but you know the the way that Brazil took their goals, you know, so calmly, so coolly. You know, they could have had more. And yeah, the, the, again, I think they're going to be really. really we, I went to see. We went to see. Holland and Brazil. I saw Brazil twice actually against North Korea and then against the Ivory Coast. And um, 
and definitely they would be my tip because they're, they're the one team that seems to have the right balance between defence and attack yeah. you know, Mycon live is a monster you know, he's <laughs> big he's yeah. quick and you watch him like the Ivory Coast game we were about 15 rows from the front so he was right in front of us in the first half and the guy gets up and down the pitch consistently yeah you know, he can defend, he gets forward, he can shoot, you know, and just their movement um, was fantastic. I've never been a massive Kakao fan. I've never really, I've never really thought he was as good Hot as cold, everyone isn't he? made yeah. out. Yeah. But when you actually see him live and you see how much of the play goes through him and how much, how he's always making himself available, he's hmm. sort of unspectacularly good in a way, yeah. like sort of Zidane was unspectacularly good in a lot of games. Hmm. Um so I still think Brazil will be the team to beat. However, the Netherlands have done have actually had a sort of un Netherlands like tournament so far in that so they might be warming just, up. Mm. Well yeah, they normally have one amazing game in them. Yeah. And generally that comes early and then they go out like they did in the Euros. Whereas they like so far in the World Cup they've just done enough to get through and they've not really annihilated anyone yet. So I guess the, the, the one thing would be if the Netherlands have their one amazing game in the tournament against Brazil, could be a cracker. Yeah, I mean, you you sort of going through some of the Brazil players there. It's the point I was trying to make to some of uh, some of the people in the office about you know why have England gone out? But you know you talk about the right back. Of, I mean, Danny Elvis can't even get oh, no. a right back of Brazil, <laughs> and you've got you know okay, I mean, Glenn Johnson of course being one of the worst players of this entire World Cup. Like the gap in quality between those two teams. So the centre half you've got like Lucio and Juan, and yeah, yeah Lucio. I mean, Lucio's out of this quality, world, but isn't he's he? also. He's also like a not traditional Brazilian centre forward. Mm. You know, he'll put his foot in, he'll muscle people off it. You know, he'll, you know, and, and but he can also play. You mm. know, and that's that's the thing. And, it's, and that was where England were especially lacking against the Germans was that they they just had no ability. You know, they just had no confidence and composure on the ball at the back. Yeah. So it was like, let's try and get it forward as quickly as possible. Mm. You know, and again. Yeah, they, they, and I think I saw Wenger say this this morning, and, and he was absolutely right. It was that England sort of went gung ho way too quickly in that game? Mm. You know, they were in control of the game for a short period when they when they should have equalised, but were robbed of that goal. But they came out in the second half, and it was almost like they were trying to win three two in the first five minutes. And as a mm. result, they left themselves completely open to the counter attack. And it's just obvious that you know. That I felt that they hadn't done their homework. They hadn't watched the the, the Australia game. They hadn't watched the fact that you know these guys how they well, attacked and 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 you could have learnt a lot and and set the England team up differently or certainly the approach differently by having seen the earlier games. And you wonder whether they had people at it or whether they watched them. Mm. And I think Muller said came out and said today you know, he felt that England were unprepared for them. Yeah, yeah and I, and I think he's probably right. Yeah. Um, Paraguay edge Japan. First penalty shoot out of the tournament. Yep. Surprised there was only one, really. And there was two extra times, wasn't there? USA Carnival as well. But you expect the round of 16 to be defined by penalties. I think it? there could be a couple this weekend. We're going to preview the games later on. But uh, And Spain, Portugal, not a great game. No. Livened up a little bit towards the end. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo... Big disappointment. Well, I can't, in the lead-up to the game, everyone's talking about, do you know what, I think it's going to be a shock here, Portugal will win because of Ronaldo. He hasn't played well for nah. Portugal in years. You know, well, at least the last couple of years, 18 months. So it was no surprise that he didn't turn up again. But David Villa's been the difference. Spain, My new favourite player in the world. Really? Love him. So, he's class, he's isn't he? so good. <laughs> Watched him live when they played Honduras. And he's not a winger, but he was playing that sort of left-side left role. And he's pulling left, and he murdered the Honduran right back. 
Mm. You know, step overs going both ways. His two goals in that game were excellent. The first one especially. Yeah, I can't wait to watch that first Barcelona game. <coughs> yeah, it's two-footed. And the thing I like about him the most is that he doesn't dive. Mm. He's very, you know... Yeah, he might sort of like try and, you know, but. This has got a feeling up. of famous last words. I can yeah. feel he's going to dive in the final now. But he just seems to me that he goes about it the right way. He gets up, you know, shakes the guy's hand. He doesn't roll around unless he's genuinely injured. And I, and I, I like him. Oh, he's mm. great. Um, I love his goal celebration as well, though. He didn't do it the other night, but the, <laughs> yeah. the one where he runs the corner and does the mad or sort of like that. <laughs> I love it. It's fantastic. So, uh, Okay, so that's the round of 16. Quick review. Um, we'll be back to talk about the news on the website just after this. In 1982, it was one little hand. In 66, a thin white line. One small man mesmerised the nation again in 86. Four years ago, a single tiny whistle pierced Aussie hearts. It only takes a touch. A fingertip between glory and defeat. With YouTube, tweet and SMS at the four customizable corners of your touchscreen, you'll have all the action at your fingertips with the Sony Ericsson Xperia X10 Mini. The world's biggest games. The world's smallest Android phone. The Xperia X10 Mini. Only from Sony Ericsson. It's time. Time to catch up with my world. Time to catch the final score. Time to read my team's tweets to see who's in. Time to see your social universe from one screen with Timescape. Only on the new Xperia X10 from Sony Ericsson. This is the 442 Insider, brought to you by Sony and Sony Ericsson, the only official technology providers of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Welcome back to this week's 442 Insider. And in the, the next section, we're going to look at some of the headline news from our website, au.442.com. Um, first up, Trev, FFA have announced that there's not going to be much rest time for the Socceroos. Um, they're going to have a, a packed schedule of friendlies. They're looking at playing six matches between now and the Asian Cup. Asian Cup kicks off mid-January. Yep. So that's... Um, Six friendlies in six months. So yeah, um, yeah it seems pretty tight, pretty big schedule. That I suppose it's inter- interesting where they are. They're saying there's going to be one in Europe in in August, and yeah. then two more in September, and then one in Australia in October. So that, I suppose that'll be the next time we'll we'll get to see him here. And then um, in November we've got one in North Africa. They're saying, but I suppose you know you're going to want to play some Asian teams, aren't you? Those September ones. You can yeah. just assume with the Asian Cup coming up. Well, obviously the European Championship qualifiers start. In September, don't they? So they'll be yeah. around the FIFA dates, yeah. I'd imagine, September and October. Yeah, so it's, it's difficult to say who's going to be at the moment, but it's good because, I mean, we're hoping that we're going to get this new manager we're going to chat about in a minute in as soon as possible, um, ideally before that August game, so that he's got six lead-up games to the Asian Cup to see exactly what he wants to do. Yeah, all right, well, let's, let's talk about that now. There's been a couple of names that have seemed to firm and then sort of go out a bit um, the two the two main names that have been mentioned uh, I think since Frank Lowy dropped the hint that it was a coach that was actually coaching a side at the World Cup and wasn't Dutch um, so it, it was sort of strengthening around Fengor and Eriksson and Paul Le Guin mm. um, so I'm not sure what you think I, I can't say that I'm particularly enamoured with either of those options no, but, I mean, people aren't excited People were not, you know, disappointed, shall I say, when uh, Fabik got the job last time, weren't they? 
Um, I don't know who people expect that we're going to get. I suppose there's a, f- a few names that are, are more um, more appealing. Um, <coughs> but yeah, they, I mean that Paul again had, didn't have a great World Cup with Cameroon. They lose all three games. Yeah, and I think he, he's a little bit patchy. And he had a, yeah, he had a good good tie. <coughs> excuse me with Leon, but then a lot of people have done well at Leon. Mm. Um, he did go in and, and sort of rescue Cameroon's qualifying, but then as you say led them to three consecutive defeats at the World Cup. Sven just, no. Sven is not the man for the Socceroos. I, th- I think in this sort of the local betting odds in Australia, Sven's quite long. He's out sort of 12 to 1, sort of 7th or 8th down. But he's really short in England. But that might be English fans going, oh, you know what Sven's like. He might go to Australia. That's where the money might be in England. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, you don't really want Sven. might be quite fun to hang around with him at the... Yeah. FA parties, nights out with Sven, but it's far I'll... too far away from Soho for Sven. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think you know, both of them, neither of them have got any any Asian experience. Um, I certainly see Sven as more of a manager than a coach, and yeah. I think we need a coach. You know, mm. we need someone who's going to come in and actually develop players, not just manage egos and and talent. You well, know, they're actually going to have to. Because if if the, if the next coach that comes in can't develop players, as in make them better than they were when they started, then we're going to be in trouble. Well, there's a lot of support on on our forums for that Johan Niskens because he's he's been in the setup before. Yeah. You know, he's he's Dutch, and you talk about that kind of coach. That's mainly what he's been doing. I think the the question marks would be over his credentials of taking over the team and <coughs> you know actually managing it for results. But I mean, I was convinced for a long while that that Leo Binacker. Would, would get it. I don't think he's out of it, but yeah. obviously Lowy's comments suggest that it's not likely to be him. It's just that he seems to have, you know, a lot of experience, done a little bit in Asia before, available. Bit of a curveball name that I thought of whilst I was at the World Cup, having watched the South African team, would be um, Pereira, who leaves South Africa now. Right, yeah. Um, just because there's a lot, of, there's a lot, there's a lot of similarities between the South African side and the Australian side, as in. You know, the South African side's got one or two star players that are overseas, but the rest is, is homegrown players. Yeah. And that are playing in a, you know, a second tier league in South Africa. Yeah. Know, on, on a world level. And he's got them playing good football. Yeah. You know, he's got them playing the right sort of football. Um, he's, you know, he's developed players. Players have developed under him, like the centre forward, McKenna. Yeah. Um, has done, yeah, on Pella, sorry, has done really well under him. Mm. Um, so I don't know I just thought that was a bit of a left field obviously keep SBS happy if we had a Brazilian yeah, coach of course um, it's interesting the, if you go further down on, on the betting list as far the, down as Mark Bosnick to Robbie Slater yeah, <laughs> there's four guys on 100 to 1 and you go oh hitting Convenables well it seems unlikely but they're the same price as Bosnick and Slater <laughs> could you imagine I mean you know, nothing against Bosnick and Slater but the chances of them taking over yeah all right. Well, that's that's the coach. I mean, they've, they've promised a quick appointment, and you would suggest that it is going to be quick if uh, they've got to pick a squad for um, a game on August the 11th. So I would imagine that we'll probably expect a, an announcement as soon as the World Cup's over. Yeah. So, I mean, it didn't work last time, did it? The, the interim no. coach. You know, no, and I'm glad that they've not they've not taken that option again. I think that that's yeah. a definite step forward. And that's all about you know a learning curve, isn't it, for the administration? We yeah. know this time that that's not going to work, and it's going to be better next time. Um, moving on to the player side of things, Trev, you had a chat with um, Man United and Denmark legend Peter Schmeichel. Peter Schmeichel. <laughs> hey, a little chat with Peter Schmeichel when I was at home on a Friday night. Yeah, he's a really good guy, you know, really articulate. Um, 
had plenty to say about the uh, the Jabulani ball, as, as you might imagine. You know, keepers like to moan at the best of times. And uh, he was saying about the ball, you know, in those coats, whenever they change a ball, it's, you know, the keeper that suffers. And he, I was saying there's lots of mistakes in the, in this World Cup. And he said, well, you know, not really. If you look at and a good example was Schneider's goal against Japan in the group stages. And he made the point of if you look where he dived, he dived where the old ball would have gone. Yeah. And it just moved in at the last minute and made him look like an idiot. But it's an interesting point because I was thinking about this this morning, driving into work, about the Jabalani and the fact, the fact that we're still seeing the great players rise to the top. Mm. But what we're actually seeing is them being great for a different reason. We're seeing that they've proven themselves as being great players because they've been able to adapt within a period of two weeks to mm. a new ball. Mm. What we're not, though, seeing them is them being great at what they're good at week in, week out, which mm. is curling shots in the top right-hand corner, whipping balls into the near post. Where, mm. you know, and they're, they're not able to do that. But this, the best players are still adapting. So when you see Iniesta's finish the other night, mm. where he's the, what we're seeing now is a lot of players side-footing the ball with power because they know that that's enough to beat the goalkeepers. Yeah. So rather than trying to curl it, they're now actually meeting the ball full-on and connecting with, with you know the, the big part of the foot, almost side-footing it because the ball is travelling quick enough that they don't have to worry about the pace. They need to worry about just keeping it down yeah. and keeping it on target. So we're still seeing the good players dominate, but I'd rather see good players dominate being showing us the full range of their abilities. What they've been the doing all year, yeah. Good because they're able to adapt. Yeah, you know, um, Harry Kuehl as well came out and talked about the fact that we'd, we'd seen a lot of people saying that, um, you know, Tim Kale for one coming out and saying that, uh, you know, pride had been restored. You know, whereas. Uh, how he came out as usual, took the opposite stance, and uh, said that he was uh, he was ashamed to bow out as early as they did. Um, yeah, I mean it's good. To, I like to see that sort of level of uh, competitiveness and aiming as high as we possibly can. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd still classify it as a as a decent, strong World Cup for Australia. Um, and I, th- I think we're all ashamed that we didn't make it through to the next round. Is what Harry said. Um, is a pretty harsh assessment. I reckon he might be beating himself up a little bit about that. Yeah. That Ghana game, even though you know it wasn't necessarily his fault, it was a decision that had to go that way. Um, yeah, and he, he probably feels a little bit directly involved. Yeah. Um, and indirectly linked to to the Schwartz story, as in you know we, we're hearing that Schwartz is very close to agreeing to move to to Arsenal. That may be in no small part to the fact that. The person that took him to Fulham, Roy Hodgson, is uh, is now almost certainly going to be unveiled as a new Liverpool yeah. manager. We discussed this before when new managers go into clubs and then Clint Dempsey goes there and then yeah. end up Bobby Zamora and Schwarzer. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great for Schwarzer to <coughs> to end up there. You know, I think you know, going back to the Schmeichel um, interview, he was saying that you know Schwarzer's a, a great goalkeeper and he's he's done well since he's gone to Fulham, but. There is always that talk of Champions League football, and you need to be playing it. And you know, Schwartz is obviously not getting any younger, but he's still got a good couple of years in him. And for us, well, for everyone, it'd be great to have an Aussie at one of the the big four. Yeah, because we talked about it before. We, uh, you know, it hasn't happened since yeah. Harry, has it? So, yeah. you know. Right, just sticking with goalkeepers, two other quick ins and possibly an out this week. Uh, yesterday, Melbourne Victory um, announced that they had signed. Soccer goalkeeper Michael Petkovic Great sign. Um, on a one-year deal. Yeah, really, really good signing. I mean, when, when Mitch left, there was you know, a real concern of, of what they were going to do to cover up, and I don't think there was much confidence in Moss. 
He's probably a good backup goalkeeper, but if you want to be going for the title, you need someone better. And I always like it when people like this come back because you, you hear about what they're doing overseas. And you know, he, he was in the title race for a long while over in Turkey. I think they fell yeah. just fell just short in the end. Um, but it'd be so interesting to see how he gets on at the A League. But you know, really important. I, I suppose victory fans are still wondering where this striker's going to come from because they need that even more desperately. I think with, with Archie out. But yeah, goalkeeper sorted. I think. And at 33. Not out of it for the national team, by any stretch. No, no, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with Schwartz. I, th- I think indications are he'll play on to the Asian Cup and then perhaps step down after that. And then, it, you know, it's the debate that's been going on for years, isn't it? <coughs> it's um, wide open who's going to take that next spot. So, yeah, he, he's not out of it. Uh, and one out, one in, potentially one young keeper out with Danny Vukovic um, potentially going the other way to the Turkish Super League to Konya Spore, uh, closing in. Mariners have said there's no deal done yet, but Turkish newspapers are claiming that it's uh, it's already done. Um, what do we think? Good move for Danny? I think I think it's an essential move for him because I think w- when he emerged, I mean, those first few years of the Mariners, everyone got really excited about him and you know genuinely thought he was the next Socceroos goalkeeper. And then it kind of levelled out a little bit. But he, he'd almost well, it was sort a grand of grand final for him, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, when yeah. He missed the Olympics and. And yeah, he never really recovered from that. So I think a fresh move over, you know, in a, a better standard of play is exactly what he needs. So even if he's not, you know, he's not going to go straight into the first team, I wouldn't have thought. But over there training with our other goalkeepers, mm, best, that, thing, best thing you can do. Agreed. So welcome back, Michael, and potentially see you later, Danny. Um, that's all we got for this section. We'll be back in section three to uh, talk Socceroos in a bit more detail and do a bit of a post-mortem on the, on the World Cup, so uh, stay with us for that. It's about time. Time to catch up with my world and everyone in it. Time to salute Saturday night's party heroes and party zeros. Time to check if Chris needs a keeper for tomorrow's game. Time to see what the coach has planned for Sunday and who's going to be there. It's all about not wasting one drop of precious time. Time to stay in control. See your entire social universe from a single screen with Timescape. Only on the new Xperia X10 from Sony Ericsson. In 74, we barely made a splash. Beaten by a dive in 06. All the action. YouTube, tweet and SMS at the four customizable corners of the world's smallest Android phone. The Xperia X10 Mini from Sony Ericsson. This is the 442 Insider, brought to you by Sony and Sony Ericsson, the only official technology providers of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Hi, and welcome back to uh, part three of this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to go back to South Africa. Um, we're going to dissect the Socceroos' performance in the World Cup. Um, Trev, yeah. Now we've had a, a week to sit on it mm-hmm. and uh, think about it. How do we look back on this? Would you say that, can we consider it a success? Such a, that's not a yes and no question, I don't think, because I, I feel parts of it were. Yes or no, Trev? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, if I was pushed into it, I'd, I'd say yes. Yeah. Because, you know, realistically, only 16 teams in the entire world <coughs> go through to those knockout stages. We were handed a really, really tough group, and in the end, it was only goal difference that stopped us. So, yeah, it, you know, it was a success, but I think what it, those last two performances almost sort of um, made that Germany one so much more difficult because it was so obvious we could play and you know deserve to go through. And if it, if it hadn't been for that Harry sending off, that don't mean to disappoint everyone, it was a sending off and a penalty. Yeah, um, it's just a really harsh area of 
football football rules that you have to go if it hits your arm in that, that situation. Yeah. Even though there was very little Harry could do about it. So yeah, I, I'd say it's a success. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, you know, at the end of the day, they came out of the World Cup with the same record as in 2006. You know, mm-hmm. but what we're seeing is that whereas four points was enough for a fair few teams to get through. Um, in 2006, it hasn't been in 2010. Mm. There were also a lot better teams in Australia that didn't get four points at this World Cup. You know, France, um, Italy, Italy being yeah. two. Um, and I think what we're seeing is, is the fact that the seeded teams didn't dominate the groups in the way that they traditionally do. So, and only three teams won all three games mm. um, with Holland, Argentina, and Brazil. Brazil yeah. So, when the draw was made, we would have probably looked at that thinking Germany are going to win three out of three and get nine points, so four points will be enough. Um, and as it happened, it wasn't because Germany lost to Serbia. Germany got a man sent off and then missed a penalty. You know, yeah. so I think it, I think it probably was a success. I think too much has been made of the of the Germany game. Um, you know, I, I think where the you know where our qualification rested was on that one golden chance that Luke Wilkshire had. You know, to win the, to win the game against Ghana. You know, which would have been one of the all time great backs against the wall World Cup performances. Exactly, yeah, yeah. genuinely. <laughs> It was yeah, interesting as we've seen with Ghana now in the quarterfinals, how close we came to pulling off what would have been an amazing victory. Mm. And you know? because the Wiltshire was up, you know, that far up the goal because you know he'd been pushed there by Fabik, and then um, Rukovica came on and took that position after, and you like literally two minutes after Rukovica came in, and you just felt if if Ruka was in the same spot, you know, an out and out forward with his left foot, yeah, on his left foot, then they would have gone in and. I don't know, I reckon Wilkshire have probably beaten himself up about that, but there was that one, it's that one chance. Yeah. That's sometimes all you get. But that is it, you know, that's the margin in a World Cup. You know, mm. success or failure often, unfortunately, often comes down to one person, are they up to it or not? You yeah. Know? Um, where do we think we went wrong? Where do we think we could have gone better? Um, <laughs> I mean, we're going <laughs> to talk about the Germany game, aren't yeah. we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you, you do have to go back to the Germany game. and. What I, th- I think now, you know, now I've had a week to sort of calm down, a- well, more than that, to to think about it, is that, you know, when it's Australia's third World Cup and we're almost still developing our own style and, and learning the way they have to play, you-, you know that you can't approach a game, even when you're taking on a-, a team that you're expecting to lose against, you can't approach it like that. So the next time we go into a World Cup, you know, we're going to Brazil, we'll have a seeded team, and again, you know, if we could have them first. I think we know there's no point setting up like that because it will knock us out straight away so we've we've learned something there and even if it is a different set of players you know I don't think we'll make that same mistake again and you know we've got so many more World Cups ahead you know I know it's a long wait for the next one but there's going to be so many more chances to do well at World Cups that yeah it, it was the way we set up against Germany that cost us yeah and I, I think as well it wasn't even necessarily well it was double edged I think it was partly the way it set up but even I could understand his logic with what he was trying to do in that you know he was Set. He was trying not to give them time on the ball at the back, so it's mm. like let's push Kale further forward. Let's play Garcia, who's going to get in amongst them. He's going to run 15 kilometers. Let's put Kalina out wide on the left to try and nullify Philip Lahm. All of that made sense. What didn't make sense was trying to play an offside the track. high line, high line, slow it defenders. Was, that was what killed them more than anything else. Yeah. And and to be fair, being there in the ground, my first reaction for the first two goals was Schwarzer. Especially the first goal. The first goal, I thought, like, you know, yeah, he hit it well and he hit it hard, but it went through him, you know. And the second goal, he comes and collects those balls day in, day out in the Premier League, Mm -hmm. and he just mistimed his jump. He went straight out of the goal instead of towards the ball, 
which allowed close to the time to come in. You know, if if that doesn't happen and it's nil nil at half time, then all of a sudden it's like, and so I could see what he's trying to do. He's trying to keep Socceroos in the game for as long as he could, and then throw the artillery on in the last half an hour and have a crack at it. And then when you reach the point where it's two and three nil down and you're down to ten men. Do you risk it? Do you risk Harry Kill coming on for 20 minutes no. and, and then breaking down? And So I could sort of understand it, but the thing that, that for me was I couldn't understand the decision to play an offside trap. No. It, I mean, you know, it's uh, so dated and it's like... Yeah, I mean, it, club you know, club teams can get their heads down if you've got a regular back four doing it all the time, but to get it right international football, and they don't have the pace to recover. If yeah. it's sprung, see yeah. you later. You've got no, especially against a young, quick German side. Yeah. Um, positives that we can take? Um, yeah, like I was saying, the learning curve, you know, what we know next time. And uh, we've got to talk about him. Brett, Brett Goldman, <laughs> as he's now known. He's uh, gone from Lowman to Goldman. Goldman, yeah. Um, unbelievable, wasn't it? To, to, to see him, um, you know, emerge. And I think it's, you know, even the, the biggest Holman critics have to admit that he, you know, he had a good World Cup. And that, the second goal he scored was, a, was an absolute cracker. And it gives you a little bit of hope because. It's an ageing team, and he, he's one of the younger players. Yeah. So to see him play well, let's hope he can have a good Asian Cup and then you know be there for Brazil, the qualification for Brazil. I never thought I'd say that. Yeah. I couldn't well, believe it. What we have always said, though, is that he does keep getting picked and, and keep being played by you know, a decent club overseas, and so they must see something in him. And finally, mm. we've got to see it in an Australia shirt. Yeah. You know? and, and hopefully he's one of those players that want, now he's made that sort of breakthrough... Um, you know, and maybe over the next couple of years, Scott McDonald will make that breakthrough in an Aussie shirt as well. That it gives them that confidence, and they come back now and they they take on a bit of that mantle. And maybe, just maybe, some of the big players stepping away might be good for the team because it gives the opportunity for new leaders to come through and and really make their mark on the Socceroos squad. I think that's the, the sooner that happens. You know, but I don't think we should cling on to these players that have been doing it for a while. I think the sooner we get them out and they've got this younger. People come through and have four years of international football ahead of Brazil. It's the best thing for us. So on that, the makeup of the squad, obviously, um, we're seeing the, the sort of last of Craig Moore and Scott Chipperfield. I think are the, the only two that They're have definitely come out gone, and said yeah. that that's it for them. Um, for the Asian Cup, obviously, the Asian Cup is in in January. It's certainly not as high profile as the African Cup of Nations. Do we think that the, the, the Emertons and the Cahills are actually going to put their hand up to come? Uh, Given that it's you know, two or three weeks of slap bang in the middle of the Premier League season. Yeah, and, and, and seeing as you know, making their club careers as long as possible is going to be their main focus now they've got to that age. Yeah. Then it's very likely that you know they won't come back, which is a real shame. I mean, you're never going to have any respect for the Asian Cup until they have a proper FIFA break, or you know, sorry, proper FIFA regulation to say you have to come across yeah. to play if selected. Uh, but the Asian Cup could be another you know breaking point for when people retire. I mentioned earlier, I, th- I think Schwarzer will probably hang around for the Asian Cup and, and then step down. Uh, but the Premiership managers are always moaning about African Cup of Nations, aren't they? Yeah. Harry yeah, Redknapp, yeah. who loves signing African players, yeah. and then whinging that they go to the Cup of Nations. I think if the Asian Cup became the same <coughs> I mean I don't maybe that's why they don't come back because managers might be you know put off buying them because you think you know, I'm going to lose them for a little while yeah you know? and we've got that sort of you know four or five player group so you've got Harry Lucas Bresciano Grella um, you know Harry's come out and said that he'd like to play in the next World Cup um, I guess we'd all like him to play in the next World Cup certainly I'd like him to have played in this one as well for longer than 24 <laughs> minutes um, 
And do we feel that there's the the players coming through to replace these guys, or do we need these guys around for the Asian Cup? Um, well, the, I think that that's the thing. There probably isn't. They're obviously not of the same standard. The guys coming through, but the only way that the guys coming through are going to get any better is by playing in you know tournaments like this. So even if we go to the Asian Cup and you know would have a better chance of winning it with those experienced players, but I'd rather blood the younger players. Give them the experience. Get, yeah, yeah, and get knocked out in the semis or something yeah. and feel like that set us up. When well, I look at Luke Wilkshire, like, I remember Luke, Luke Wilkshire was one of the surprise inclusions by Hiddink. Well, you know, he was yeah, playing yeah. at Bristol City at the time, I think it was, wasn't he? And now you'd probably say he's one of the most important Socceroos players, you know, so mm. it, it can happen, you know. Um, they don't need to be playing at the top clubs, you know. Luke's now playing in, in Moscow and, and doing well. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree, I, I, but I do think there needs to be a, an expectation change from the public if that's going to happen you know because looking at the World Cup South Korea and Japan both got through to the knockout stages they're significantly ahead of those sort of players so I, I think we're accepting that if we're going to bring in these, these these new players and give them the experience that the Asian Cup in 2011 is going to be a developmental mm. tournament for us we're not going to go there and win it with those players in all likelihood no. um, but it's great experience you know and no. ultimately the World Cup's the important thing, and we need to qualify for the World Cup. So I think, mm. yeah, and, and as we know, it's a long process now, yeah. 12, 14 games. So another thing that you know, last year, some of, some of the rumours or criticism that Aussie teams they turned up expecting to win, <coughs> and those experienced players who, you know, probably had a slightly larger ego than some of the young players had, went there expecting to boss it, and it didn't happen. Now, if you throw a load of young lads in who are playing for their international spots and won't take this opposition lightly, then maybe we might do all right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so player of the tournament for you from an Aussie perspective? <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to say Brett Goldman. Okay. I mean, he, him, or, him or Wiltshire did well. I, f- I thought Lucas was patchy, but I thought he was absolutely brilliant in the final game against Serbia, and I think he deserves a mention there. Um, but yeah, I mean, no one consistently good. You, you'd have to say... You'd have to say Goldman and, and Wilkshire were the two main yeah. guys. No, I, agree. I thought Emerton did well as well. Yeah, that's all yeah he did. He did. But at the last yeah. game, he looked yeah. he looked really good. All right. Well, that's it for the uh, Socceroos post-mortem. There'll be more in the magazine, uh, which will be our World Cup review issue, which will be on sale. I'm just going to transcribe that. Yeah, yeah we'll, just, that we'll just write that up. Um, which will be on sale on July 21st, very quickly after the World Cup final. Um, so that's it for part three. We'll be back in part four to preview... The big games this weekend, the World Cup quarterfinals. So stay with us and we'll be back just after this. In 1982, it was one little hand. In 66, a thin white line. One small man mesmerised the nation again in 86. Four years ago, a single tiny whistle pierced Aussie hearts. It only takes a touch, a fingertip between glory and defeat. With YouTube, tweet and SMS at the four customizable corners of your touchscreen, you'll have all the action at your fingertips with the Sony Ericsson Xperia X10 Mini, the world's biggest games, the world's smallest Android phone. The Xperia X10 Mini, only from Sony Ericsson. It's time. Time to catch up with my world. Time to catch the final score. Time to read my team's tweets to see who's in. Time to see your social universe from one screen with Timescape. Only on the new Xperia X10 from Sony Ericsson. This is the 442 Insider, brought to you by Sony and Sony Ericsson, the only official technology providers of the 2010 FIFA World Cup. 
Uh, welcome back to the final part of this week's 442 Insider Podcast. Um, we're now going to review, uh, preview the World Cup quarterfinals. And there is a couple of absolutely mouth-watering ties. Uh, kicks off Friday night, midnight our time, with the Netherlands versus Brazil. Trev, how does it go? Um, like I was saying, yeah, is this going to be the Netherlands' big performance? Or, you know, can Brazil, Karen do it? I was thinking about Brazil the other day. A lot of people call them, you know, their second team. You're always excited about watching Brazil every four years, aren't you? Because you, you know, probably don't get to see them at any other time. Um, but this is probably the first World Cup that I really don't want Brazil to win. And the reason why I don't, I think it's their. It'll be the sixth World Cup win, <coughs> and I think it'll be their third out of the last six. And I think they would have won every other because they. I think they won '94, didn't they? Yeah. And then they won 2002. And yeah. if they win yeah. this. And I don't want to get into a pattern of Brazil winning every other well, World Cup. Well, with the next World Cup being in Brazil, so, yeah, and you'd you have to make them odds-on yeah, favourites. Yeah, that. and then you're a situation where they've won four of the last seven if they win it at home. So I don't want them to win it. And we were saying ahead of the, the tournament that it would be nice if someone knew one end. And from this, you'd have to say it's either going to be the Netherlands or Spain. So they're the two teams I'm going for. Um, in terms of how, how the Netherlands are going to get on, got great wingers, haven't they? They're, you know, Schneider and Robin and stuff. Um, it's a bit about you know <coughs> those Brazilian fullbacks famously going forward. They're going to probably have to do a little bit more defending than they're used to, and that's where the Netherlands are going to try and expose them because they they don't have that natural front man. Um, that said, <laughs> I think Brazil will win. Yeah, I'll, I'll be you know really really surprised if Brazil if Brazil were going to lose. I think it's um, Argentina, Germany, or Spain that are going to stop them. I don't, I don't rate Netherlands as good enough. Okay, um, yeah, I mean I'd, I'd agree with that. I think. I'm just concerned about the Netherlands' defence against Brazil. Having watched the combinations that they with Rubinho and Luis Fabiano and Kaká behind, I think they'll have. I think they'll have too much. Although I agree, I do think that that the Netherlands will ask some questions of Brazil and, and keep, you know, Mike on and those guys pressed as far back as they probably have been during the tournament. Um, I can see it going to extra time. I can see it going into extra time. Although I did back the Netherlands about four months ago. Um, so the money's on that, but um, I don't think that they will get through. Interesting enough, we're seeing four South American teams through Done to well the quarterfinals, it. which is interesting when it, you, you think about how cold it is. And firsthand, I can tell you, the night games there are freezing. <laughs> yeah. We went to Brazil, North Korea, and it was the coldest ever World Cup game finals match. It was minus three, mm. and it was freezing. So it, it's interesting that, that four South American teams have got through. Um, the second of which is Uruguay. He'll be taking on Africa's rep- sole representative, Africa, Ghana. Yeah. Um, do you think Ghana can... Uh, you know, they, they were probably outsiders against the US, you'd say. Um, yeah. They didn't really play like that. Um, they've certainly got the ability to hurt anyone on the break. Mm. Um, Gian up front plays that lone role probably as good as anyone in the World Cup at the moment. Mm. Uruguay, we touched on... Briefly, pretty solid outfit, unspectacular, but they have got two forwards that will ask questions of any defence. Is that going to be enough for them? Um, every single game Ghana have played this World Cup, I've backed them to lose before. <laughs> I thought they were going to lose every single game, and they've you know, proved me wrong all, all but one time when they lost against Germany. Um, so I'm going to back them to lose, <coughs> back them to lose again. Yeah, saying I like the look of that Uruguayan team. You know, they, They're not going to leak many goals. And they just rely on that front two, which is a brilliant front two, to, to get the goals they need. So, 
Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine you were talking about the South Americans. I think every South American team got out of their group, didn't they? Yeah. Everyone got into the round of 16, yeah. and you know, there's, there's plenty in the quarters as well. So all this talk of oh, it's going to be a, a European World Cup because it's cold and yeah, stuff, exactly. that hasn't exactly. out like that at all, is it? And if you're a Ghana fan, you must be sitting there going, if only SEN would have been fit as well. You know, They're doing all of this without their, without their star man. Yeah. Um, Saturday night. Probably the, the the game of the round. Uh, midnight, Argentina versus Germany. Set up to be probably the game of the tournament so far. Yeah, huge. Huge, isn't it? And <coughs> lots of goals in their team. You're hoping it's just going to be a shootout, don't you? You're hoping they're just going to try and try and outscore each other because you know the Germany Germany have already put four past you know two teams in in the Aussies and Eng- England <coughs> and. Uh, Argentina just look unstoppable going forward, and, and I, it seems to be Maradona's plan, isn't it, to outscore score one more? Yeah, just just outscore teams. And well, it's just the more they score, the more the more he can kiss them. So. Yeah, he loves it, doesn't he? Did you yeah, see Tevez move away? Yeah, from his Tevez kiss? blocked him. <laughs> yeah, that he knew was the what game was that we were at. We were watching it on the monitor in the media bit, as, and like everyone's coming out and getting a slog, and Tevez sort of deliberately sidestepped. Yeah, him. yeah. Yeah, it's quality though. It is fantastic theatre. It's like so more people are watching. Maradona on the sideline than are actually watching the game. He's got um, these strange things that he has to do before, you know, superstitious about certain things. Like, he's been holding all these press conferences in a certain stadium, even if it means travelling for God knows how many hours to do it. And they've closed down the stadium now because the, the parallel <coughs> game was the last one. So he's annoyed about that. And he has to come out in his tracksuit and then... Well, he arrives, in the, yeah. he arrives at the ground in his tracksuit. He gets off the stadium in his mm. tracksuit, and then they all change into their suits. suits and then it's tracksuit after. He does the tracksuit back in. <laughs> and is he carrying, like, his rosary beads? He's got these beads as well <laughs> that he rolls, rolls through his fingers. So, you know, he's replaced tactical nous and experience with those things. But well, he's, he's, got, he's got Bilardo behind him that you would assume is doing yeah. the tactical stuff. You know, and it just seems to me that Maradona's more of a sort of cheerleader stroke, stroke mascot, what a stroke mascot. motivator. Yeah, you know, just it's kissing a, players. It's a bit like, it's a bit more of a glorified role of David Beckham was doing for England. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did yeah. you see Maradona's press conference where he's talking about uh, Messi and he was he was eating an apple and it was so strange to see someone eating like really, almost arrogantly during the thing. He's going, oh, you know, taking taking the ball off Messi it's like trying to take this apple off me. I've got such a hunger, no one can take it from me. I'm thinking this, he really is completely loopy. But he's working, so isn't it? The, the, the shots of the benches are going to be as much fun as the football because yeah. you've got Yogi Love, who's <laughs> still his psychic, uh, with their matching sort of like knitted sweaters and jacket combos. Incredible range of designer clothes <laughs> that those two are wearing, and their floppy hair. So it's going to be it's going to be the game to watch. Um, wait, I agree. I'd, I'd probably say. I mean, I talked. We talked about Argentina earlier, and, and my concerns about the centre and their defence. The, I'd probably say the opposite about Germany. I'd probably say that if it comes down to it, I, I, I can actually see the Germans taking this because I just think they're a bit more solid in defence, um, and I think they have slightly too much mobility. Unless Messi completely runs the show and oh, yeah. dominates the game. Which game? Um, so yeah, but one thing's for certain, that is going to be a fantastic game of football. So um, yeah. stay up late on Saturday night, get some beers in and I can enjoy see, that. see Germany getting their noses in front and this kind of going to this last 15, 20 minutes. Argentina chasing a goal. Maradona's put all six of his strikers on and they're just yeah. going for it. Like. I mean, when was the last time you could say that we actually had 
a proper high scoring classic in a knockout stage. Yeah. It's going to be nil nil on penalties, yeah, isn't it? Probably but will be. Yeah, yeah, but everyone still talks about that 1982 game, the Italy 3, Brazil 2. Yeah. You know, that was one of the best games of football. I can still remember it now. I was 13, but mm. I can still remember it. Right. And. I'm not. I'm not. I can't remember the last time we had a game of football like that. People would still talk about in twenty years and not be a game that goes to penalties. Just yeah. to be a great game of football that ends three two, four three, you know, yeah. even two one, you know, but has that quality. So I'm, I'm very hopeful about that game. And the meeting at the right time. If this was a final, it would have been too much at stake. Yeah, it's too much at stake. But a quarter final, they do, I can see them just you know going at each other. Yeah. And obviously there's a bit of history from uh, from the last World Cup, which was uh, when Germany won on penalties, weren't there, and the Argentinians yeah. just went nuts at the end of it and kicked yeah, off. Yeah, so, exactly. uh, Interesting stat on the, that Argentina front line, um, the six guys they've got, have scored over 170 club goals between them last season. There it is, stat rats back. <laughs> World inc- Cup stat rat. That's incredible, isn't it? <coughs> and rounding off the quarterfinals, um, please excuse my um, my South African cough. Uh, <laughs> rounding out the quarterfinals is Paraguay v Spain. Um, you get long odds on Paraguay for that, I'd say. Yeah, right. I mean, so, do you think like, they've got a shot? I like the look of Paraguay though. They're, they've sort of been playing three up front, but really pressing. Like you know, no one gets any time on the ball with them. They've looked good at the back. They're saying what overachievers there are. Well, Talking about Nigeria's population before you went away, 6.5 million people in Paraguay. 6.5. 6.5 million. So how they're turning out a team like that, and, you know, they look really good. And <coughs> I think Spain are, are doing enough at the moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, you'd, you'd be mad to, to not back Spain to, to progress a bit further there. And Yeah, I think, I think what you've said about Paraguay, that they press high up and with three men, is actually going to be their downfall. Mm. I think where Spain struggle, like against Switzerland, is against teams that set up with nine and ten men behind the ball, mm. really compact. You know, as we saw against Chile, um, you know, when teams come out and play against Spain, that gives them the room to play against them. So I think, um, I think if that happens, I think there will only be one winner in that. Mm. Um, and Davi Villa, you know, good bet for the Golden Boot now. Yeah, I mean got four four now. Uh, yeah, 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 I think so. He's coming to you know two point something on the on the golden boot thing, but I, I still think that that's a reasonable bet because I can see him continuing to score. So looking ahead, we what we'd probably say that that potentially it's going to be Brazil, Uruguay, Germany, Spain. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's looking the most likely. We talked at the beginning of the tournament about that. Dream Brazil Spain final still on, and I think that's still on. <coughs> okay, yeah. well we'll be uh, back next week to talk about whether that was uh, that came to fruition because when are the semi-finals uh, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, possibly. So, so we'll so. actually we'll know the finalists by the time we go to end next Thursday. So we'll actually be previewing the final and reviewing the quarterfinals and semi-finals so um, stay with us there's still plenty of football even though uh, Australia out of this World Cup there's still plenty to savour um, so make sure you uh, tune in next weekend uh, for both for all of those games and uh, we'll be back next Thursday for next week's 442 Insider until then see you later 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services